Go ahead and open up in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 15. We're going to be closing out Matthew 15 today. Uh, we're going to be starting in verse 29. And while you're turning there, it's easy to read the Bible and miss the fact that it is one complete story. From first page to last, well, first page of the actual Bible, not your introductory notes by the translator and the, the, the chapter, a table of contents, all that, but from page one to page potentially 10,000, if you have really, uh, really large font, uh, <laughs> but, but from page one to the end, it is a single story. It's 66 total books compiling a single book, 39 books in the Old Testament, 27 books in the New, and it really tells the story of God redeeming his fallen creation, uh, namely those he made in his image, mankind, who, who broke everything, and then God spends the rest of his allotted time working out a plan of redemption. It, it centers around a, a single people group, uh, God's elect or chosen nation of Israel that were chosen by grace, not by anything that they had done. Through, through his direct promise to a man named Abraham in Genesis 12, and then reconfirmed and kind of advanced a little in Genesis 17, God makes clear that, that it's going to be through this one man's descendants that he's going to bring redemption, namely Jesus, a savior. The rest of the Bible continues that focus around this one family, this one really kind of messed up family. Uh, the, 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 the more the story advances, the more you realize how broken and sinful and, and, and destroyed and wrecked this family is. But again, the story centers around this one family. There's, there's, uh, there, there's these promises that God gives to them, known as covenants. It, it focuses on his relationship with this people. And, and to them alone, he gives prophets, miraculous interventions, and, and even though they frequently break their end of the covenants, God continues faithfully toward them. It's only this one nation that God does this with. It's only the Israelites, who later become known as the Jews. Uh, you might be curious where that title has come from. It's actually from the Babylonian exile, where the tribe of Judah was the majority in Jerusalem. When the Babylonians came in and they took, they took them as captives, uh, the, the Judahites, which is what they would be called, was too many syllables and too difficult to say in the Babylonian language, and so the Babylonians shortened it to Jew. That's where we get the term. But, but the, these Israelites, who, who later became just simply known as Jews, have these very specific promises made to them over and over again. God spoke only to them. But what about all the other nations? What about all the other people groups? Not just, not just the ones that we see. You know what? I think I may have just figured out why this keeps breaking and why this keeps coming out. There's too much tension. There we go. All right. Sorry. Getting, getting distracted. Oh, now I can't see my notes. There we go. <laughs> all right. So... But what about all these other nations? Not just the Egyptians, or what, what about the Egyptians? What about the Babylonians, the Assyrians, the Philistines? Who, what about all these other nations? What was God's plan for them? 
In the New Testament, we have the word Gentiles, which Gentiles is the Greek word ethnos. It means other ethnicities. The, the Jews would just refer to all these other ethnicities, the Gentiles, and they would use it as a derogatory slang, slang word. When we read about the promised Savior, Jesus Christ, being born of the Virgin Mary, coming in, into the world, we read mostly about his interaction with the Jews, not the Gentiles. The Gentiles were kind of this, this occasional uh, interaction. At our point in Matthew's narrative is the, the few months he spent with the Gentiles. The majority of this time, the majority of his, his, his earthly ministry, which is about three and a half years, was spent with the Jews. So what about the Gentiles? What about them? What we're going to see in our text today is Jesus showing the same sort of compassion on the Gentiles as he did the Jews. Even though he spent more time with the Jews, he was also murdered by them. But even though he spent more time with the Jews, it doesn't mean the Gentiles are excluded. So Jesus is going to have that same sort of compassion that he had on the Jews. And that, that means something. So let's, let's go ahead and, and read of, of Jesus' far-reaching compassion. So verses 29 to 39. Jesus went on from there and walked beside the Sea of Galilee. And he went up on the mountains, mountain and sat down there. And great crowds came to him, bringing with them the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute, and many others. And they put them at his feet, and he healed them. So that the crowd wondered when they saw the mute speaking, the crippled healthy, the lame walking, and the blind seeing, and they glorified the God of Israel. Then Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion on the crowd because they have been with me now three days and have nothing to eat. And I am unwilling to send them away hungry, lest they faint on the way. And the disciples said to him, where are we going to get enough bread for, uh, in such a desolate place to feed so great a crowd? And Jesus said to them, how many loaves do you have? They said, seven and a few small fish. And directing the crowd to sit down on the ground, he took the seven loaves and the fish. And having given thanks, he broke them and gave them to, to the disciples. And the disciples gave them to the crowds. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up seven baskets of the broken pieces left over. Those who ate were 4,000 men besides women and children. And after, and after sending away the crowds, he got into a boat and went to the region of Magadan. This is the word of the Lord. Before we actually go through the text for today, I want to make a point clear. Reading the entire Bible, reading the focus on Israel, it's easy to think that the Gentiles basically are an afterthought. That the other nations are maybe subservient or secondary or not as important. And it's easy to misread the Bible that way because, again, the majority of the text centers around the one people. Almost every single page of the Bible mentions Israel. And the Gentiles are often excluded from those pages. 
Most often, the Gentiles are actually the enemies of Israel, right? The Canaanites, the Philistines, the Babylonians, the Egyptians. They're the enemies. And last week, we talked about a Canaanite woman, a natural enemy of God's people, right? The, the people that they were supposed to wipe out of the land, and yet some of them survived, and they kept steering Israel back into this false worship of a false god. The Gentiles are a problem. But the Gentiles are also included from the very beginning, the very first uh, major covenant that, that, that God makes promising a savior minus the, what's called the proto-euangelion, the, the first gospel in Genesis 3. The first promise, really, honestly, that includes the Gentiles was the, the covenant he made with Abraham. In Genesis 12, 1 to 3, uh, God says this. Now the Lord said to Abram, before he was renamed, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to, uh, to the land that I will show you, Canaan, and I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you, I will curse. Now if we stop there, if we stop there, if we stop reading, then it seems like God only cares about Abraham's children, his, his, his direct descendants. But there's the rest of verse 3. And I really want you to notice these words. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. What does that mean? If three quarters of this promise is about Abraham, but... This last bit is about the rest of the, the families of the earth. That's significant. If you have a bucket, and in that bucket you have a spout that comes out, and it's open, right? And you start pouring water in the bucket. How much of the water stays in the bucket? How much? None, because it keeps draining out. And that's kind of what this is, except we should remember, we should think maybe that the spout's not at the bottom, but maybe up a little bit. God's blessing that, that he's promising here is ultimately Jesus. And he's saying that through you, through the spout, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. This is not just monetary blessing. Israel actually, frankly, was not that beneficial to its neighbors, mostly because its neighbors were trying to kill them. So the, for the most part, Israel defended itself and it was a blight on its neighbors. This is not an Old Testament promise. This is a New Testament, a new covenant promise fulfilled only in Christ, where all the other families of the earth, in the Greek, in the Septuagint, because this, this is Hebrew initially, but in the Septuagint, it says, and in you all the Gentiles shall be blessed. All the other ethnicities. So I want us to remember that the Gentiles are included. They're not an afterthought. If we really think about it, too, that the Gentiles populate probably the majority of heaven. If we were to turn to uh, Revelation 7 which is a, fa a famous verse. And when I read it, you'll get it. Uh, when we turn there, uh, John, who's receiving this revelation, who's seeing all these things, he, he hears of the 20, uh, I can't even talk, the 12,000 from each tribe of Israel. 
There's 12,000 from each 12 tribes, so 144,000. He hears of these, this, this people group that's sealed on the day of redemption, that's, that's still alive and they're suffering, but these people, this 144,000, they still worship God and, and praise God. This is Israel. This is true Israel, 144,000. After, after hearing this, John describes this. He says, after this, I looked and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. The 144,000, they can be numbered, but the multitude of the Gentiles could not. It's also important to note that the Gentiles are going to be included in the new heavens and new earth, right? God makes a new Jerusalem, and that new Jerusalem is inhabited by, by the people of God. And in Revelation 21, verses 22 to 27, uh, John writes this, And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord, the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives its light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it, and its gates will never be shut by day. Always open. And there will be no night there. They will bring into it uh, uh, the glory and honor of the nations, of the Gentiles, of the ethnicities. But nothing unclean will enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but to those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. And then continuing on into uh, chapter 22, then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal flowing, flowing from the throne of God and the lamb through the middle of the street of the city. Also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of, tr of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. The leaves of the tree were for the healings, the healing of the nations, the Gentiles, the Gentiles, all these blessings keep going out from God's people being a blessing to the Gentiles. This is the promise of Abra that was given through Abraham, right? Right? From Genesis 12 and Genesis 17, all the way up, all the way up, the Gentiles are included. The Bible isn't a story about Israel. The Bible is a story about God and his redeeming work through Israel. If you were to go into the movie theater, let's say right now, you were going to go see a movie theater, and, and you were going to walk into the movie theater, you walk in through the door. That's like the nation of Israel. The nation of Israel is a door to the wonderful blessing of a great movie in the middle of COVID where you have to wear masks. Anyway, sorry, that was not true. Uh, <laughs> but the nation of Israel was meant to be a door for, for, for all these blessings to funnel through. It's a spout for all the, the, the river of the water of life, the blood of Jesus to be poured out for everything, everyone out, out there. 
While, while Israel exists throughout every page of the Bible, almost, there's only one main character of the, of the Bible, and that is God. God is the main character. Everyone else dies. Everyone else. God is redeeming two people groups, Israel and then everyone else, all the other nations, the Gentiles. So the section that I read, 29 to 39, it shows something important. Jesus leaves the Jews and spends several months in these Gentile regions. And he ends up, as we learn in Luke and also in Mark 7, he ends up in this Gentile area known as the Decapolis, which means the ten cities. It was these ten city-states that just kind of all butted up against each other. And so they built a big city right in the center. It was like a metropolis, but it was Decapolis, the ten cities. And he ends up in these regions, and he ends up doing... Guess what? Exactly what he did to the Jews. He does the exact same things. He sp his, his fame spreads in the Gentiles to the point that where he goes to a desolate place and people gather. They gather. They bring his, they're sick and they're dying. And he does what? Does he go, well, you know, you stinky Jews. I'm sorry, you stinky Gentiles. I'm not going to serve you. I'm here for the Jews. No, no, he carries on this continued plan. So we see in this section that he, uh, the, the, the Gentiles receive the same healings and miracles as the Jews, that he receives the same treatment, or they receive the same treatment as he gave the Jews. They receive the same providence that he gave the, gave the Jews, and also they, they respond the same as the Jews. Minus the Pharisees. Honestly, if Jesus wanted an easy ministry, he would have just not ever gone to Jerusalem. He didn't meet opposition in the Gentiles that much, except for the Jews that were scattered among them. If Jesus wanted it easy, if Jesus didn't want to die and do his Father's will, he would have just stayed in the Decapolis. He was popular there. So, let's walk through our text. I'm going to point out some things and I'm going to try very hard not to go over because it's potluck Sunday. But I, I want us to notice things that are really important here. Really important for us. Raise your hand if you're Jewish. Right. <laughs> this is important because all of you are Gentiles. If you did not receive, if you were not meant to receive these same blessings, none of you would be here. None of you would know God. None of you would be able to read and understand the Bible. None of you would have the Holy Spirit. That's why these things are important. So, let's walk through the text. Beginning, right? I already said, Jesus goes to the Decapolis. He actually travels southeast. He goes to the southeastern region of the Sea of Galilee. So he's still close-ish to Jerusalem, right? Uh, but, but he goes on and walks beside the Sea of Galilee, and he went on the mountains and sat down there. So he's still in the Gentile region, and he's still safe from the Jews because the Jews can't really do anything. So he's in this Gentile region. He goes to a mountain, pretty typical stuff for a rabbi of his time. They go to a mountain, and he sits down. But... It's not like he's sitting there to rest. He's sitting there to teach. 
And great crowds came to him, bringing with them who? Now, if you're, if you're going to go see a teacher, you usually want to bring people that are mentally astute, that are, that are capable of understanding the teaching. But that's not who they bring. Why? Because his fame has spread. It's spread through the Gentile regions. These people here, Jesus is in the mountains near us. And so they grab what they can and they burst out the door and they make their, they make their run as quick as they can. They're grabbing grandma who only walks on one leg. They're grabbing, they're, they're, they're grabbing their, their neighbor who's blind and hasn't been able to work and is starving. They're grabbing the, the, the beggar off the side of the street who doesn't have the ability to walk. And they're taking him. They're taking all these people to Jesus. 4,000 men plus women and children brought to Jesus. They're taking their kids who, who, who are demonically possessed and fall into the fire. They're taking people who have constant bleeding issues. They're taking lepers. They're taking, they're taking all the same people we've been reading about for 14 chapters in Matthew. The same type of people. Why? Because they know who Jesus is. They know that he's able to, to help them. They, they, they've heard about him and they're hoping, you know, hopefully these rumors are true. So they, they, they go out and they gather around Jesus. And the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute, and many others gather. Now, the lame is not just the really boring people, right? Uh, the, the lame are the people who don't have full function of their arms and limbs. They might have an arm, but it doesn't work right. The blind are those with eye conditions, either with true blindness, maybe they're missing eyes, they could have cataracts and their vision is too cloudy to be able to see if it's a pulpit in front of them or a donkey, the crippled, those, those are those people who can't move, who might not be able to grab anything. The mute, who, those who are un unable to speak, which uh, often means those that are under demonic influence. Then people with this myriad of other issues. And what does Jesus do? Does he again say, you stinky Gentiles, I have nothing to do with you? No. The point is this, these miraculous providences are the same we've seen for 14 chapters. But 14 chapters of Matthew focus predominantly on the Jews. And, and, and here we are seeing the same things done to the Gentiles. The crowds are amazed. 1531. They wonder. They're in awe. They're, they're, they're amazed with everything. They see what Jesus is doing in his earthly ministry. It's thousands of people that are coming before Jesus to hear him teach, to receive these healings, to, to, to get help. And, and Jesus is proving, he's proving who he is, even among the Gentiles. And they glorify the God of Israel. Because they've seen these amazing things done by Jesus, they glorify God specifically. Now, some commentators, some biblical commentators, like to make note here that the Gentiles are already polytheists, right? They, they've got this, this, this shelf, like a mantle above their fireplace, not really. But think of it like a mantle. They've got all these little idols sitting on there, and you know, adding one more, 
Who cares? We'll just put another one on. Pray to Zeus. Pray to, pray, pray, pray to Aphrodite. But Matthew's trying to make a very big point here. The Gentiles are praising the God of Israel. So then, 1532, we see Jesus say, I have compassion on the crowd. We've seen this before. If we were to go back to Matthew 14, in fact, it's on the same page of my Bible, but Matthew 14, 13 to 21, we'd see something very similar. Uh, in in fourteen fourteen, uh, Matthew writes, "When Jesus went ashore, when he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them and healed their sick." Does that sound similar? The only difference is that this time Jesus is declaring it; he's saying it. I have compassion on the crowd. Now, when we went through this, I talked about the the really fun Greek word splunkidzomai. Just say that. That means uh, I have compassion or I'm having compassion. So just, you know, next time, next time you see someone in pain, you go, I splunk kids am I. Anyway, uh, but, but it, it means to be moved in your inward being, to, to, to see someone in need and just not, not be able to help them. That's what it means. So instead of this just being seen from the outside, Jesus is declaring, I have compassion on them. He's already healed them, but now he's having an even deeper compassion on them. I have compassion on the crowd. Now remember I said the crowd probably packed up in a hurry. They just grabbed what they could, plus grandma, and dragged everyone to, to him so he could get it. So chances are they kind of forgot their food. Maybe, maybe they grabbed a few snacks. Maybe they weren't expecting to stay for three days. Maybe they thought they'd just show up, get, you know, uh, get the miracle, and go home. They'd go to this great big conference. People would start rolling on the floor, and, and then there would be some, some uh, street fighter moves, and people would fall over, and they'd be healed. Mm, I should stop. I'm going to keep going down a rabbit hole. Uh, but, but the point is that these, these people run to him. Jesus is unwilling to send them away hungry lest they faint on the way. Oh, how kind Christ is. Oh, how compassionate to care for the needs of those who hurriedly rush to him. If you're in need of Jesus and his kindness, then I, I, I implore you to be like this crowd that goes unprepared. Grab what you can, run to the door and go to him because that's what they did. Just like, just like here, he's gonna care for you. He knows what concerns might cause you to faint on the way. So if you're going through life right now and you're wondering, man, I gotta get all my ducks in the row before I run to Jesus, stop it. Stop, just go to him. Then the disciples wonder where, where they might get enough food, right? 1533, they're, they're like, hold on, Jesus, you want to feed this crowd. But the way they phrase it is different than the statement in 1415. In 1415, they, they say, uh, this is a desolate place and the day is now over. Send the crowds to go into the village and buy food for themselves, right? The, Jew, the Jews... In the Jewish instance, in the first instance, they say, eh, get people out of here, Jesus. Instead, now they question him, maybe kind of 
like wondering if he's going to do the same thing. They're, they're, they're like, hey, so where are we going to get food in this desolate place, Jesus? Just saying. <laughs> they're, 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 they're asking instead of stating. Now, it's debated by biblical commentators on whether or not they even remember what happened. Uh, for us, what's five minutes? If you and I were to sit down and read Matthew 14 and 15, it takes us, what, five, ten minutes? Like, five minutes ago to us, Jesus fed 5,000 people. Or for you guys, what was, what, six months ago? Because it takes me forever to go through the biblical text. So, so for five minutes, right? But this is really like a few months ago. So do you really think Jesus forgot, or I'm sorry, the apostles forgot what Jesus did in feeding 5,000 people? No, probably not. So I think personally that they're, they're, they're looking to Jesus and they're going, hey, you think, you think we can do that again? Like the thing where you, where you bless the food and then we just keep handing it out? Because they knew that Jesus could miraculously provide, even for Gentiles. So uh, a point I want to make is Jesus does, needs very little to make very much. He didn't even need the food to multiply, right? He could, he could have just said, all right, speak it into existence. Dinner, boop, plates appear, food's on them. Maybe it's spaghetti because that's really what you need to feed the multitudes. Yeah, maybe tables in front. Jesus could have just spoken it, but instead he takes what the disciples have. He takes the few loaves and few small fishes and he multiplies it. He doesn't need, but he loves to include. So Jesus miraculously feeds this crowd seven loaves, few small fish, feeds 4,000 men plus women and children, 1538. And he, he has the crowd sit down. He gives glory to God for what, what they have in the first place. And, and then... Uh, and then he does the multiplying, but lets the disciples distribute the food. So they sit down, knowing that, he, knowing that God alone is the provider. They give glory to God for what little they have, knowing that he's given it to them in the first place. And then he does this work of compassion. And they do a work of compassion, the disciples do, knowing that they're able to participate in the work. Now, I've heard sermons on this um, where, hey, you know what? The Jews, got, the Jew, the Jews had 5,000 fed, and they had, they had 12 baskets full, but then the Gentiles, they only had 4,000 fed, and, and they had, what, seven baskets? Seven baskets left over. Well, hold the phone. Matthew uses two different words. Between the end of 14 and the end of 15, uh, Matthew describes two different types of baskets. So while the Gentiles only had seven baskets, they actually probably had more food than the Jews left over. Just pointing that out. The Jews had baskets that you could carry. The Gentiles had this type of basket that could fit a man in it. You could hide a body in this basket. Like we, we joke about it like, uh, you know, like how many bodies are your trunk, right? You got... Got a three-body trunk or a four-body trunk? 
Um, that's that. At least I do. I, I joke about that. But then again, I spent time in Chicago. So uh, anyway, <laughs> but but the the Gentiles had these ginormous baskets that would take two people, maybe even three people to carry. So don't let anyone tell you, well, the Gentiles are second class. They actually probably had more left over. In fact, uh, you could comfortably fit a person in this basket, right? In Acts 9.25, the apostle Paul is lowered out of a basket. It's the same word that means the large basket. He wasn't put in this little teeny woven basket and he's like, please don't drop me. He was put in a pretty big basket and lowered through a window. Pretty awesome, actually. Read, read Acts 9. Um, so the, the point is actually that the Gentiles received equally, perhaps even more, as leftover than the Jews did. So the Gentiles, again, they are not an afterthought. This is a small portion of Jesus' ministry, but it's still important. Gentiles are not lesser in God's kingdom. They receive as much or perhaps more in some cases than the Jews. Now just to end it out, the Gentiles left satisfied, satiated, finished, done, good. So I have here six truths, six biblical truths that I, I, I want us to cherish from this text. And I'm really going to burn through these. Uh, thing number one, in this text, Jesus' divine power is displayed. So while the apostles later perform miracles in Jesus' name, Jesus does them in his name. He, he does them. This is him doing it. He's the same God who spoke the universe into existence, Genesis 1, and who upholds the, currently upholds the universe by the word of his power, Hebrews 1.3. And he's the same God who makes all things right and renews his creation, Revelation 21 to 22. Jesus' divine power is displayed among the Gentiles. Thing number two, Jesus includes his disciples, but he doesn't actually need their help. He, he often, God often includes, but he does not need he doesn't need us. He doesn't need you. He doesn't need uh, the, the, the church down the street. He doesn't need the church in the next city. He doesn't need anyone, but he loves to include. He didn't need Abraham, but he chose him to be a blessing of salvation to all the earth. He didn't need David, but he chose to have him reign and bless his elect nation of Israel. He didn't need the prophets to speak for him. God is not mute. And yet he often sent prophets. He didn't even need his disciples. And yet he let them distribute the food. The point is this. God does not need anyone. But he kindly includes people in his plans. Number three. The goal of all ministry is ultimately worship. Uh, when the Gentiles see the magnitude and perfection of Jesus' work, what do they do? They're astonished, they're amazed, they wonder, and they glorify the God of Israel. True compassion leads to true action. If you really give a rip, then you'll do something. Let's just, pri let's, let's just summarize it that way. If you really care, then you're going to do something. Jesus had true compassion, and so he provided the miracle of providence here. 
If we truly have any care for those around us, then we will truly act to care for them. The sick, the hungry, the lost. If we really care, then we, like Jesus, will step in, care for their need, and worry about them whether or not they're going to faint along the way. We should care for people's physical needs, their mental needs, but most of all, we need to care for their spiritual needs that they might come to know and worship the true God. Number four, followers of Jesus have to rely on divine resources. I could go on a rant for this, but frankly, everything around me is breaking quite literally. The roof, the monitors, the, the cabling. I had some guy come out this week and, and evaluate our sound system, and it turns out that we actually don't have enough power to power these four speakers, and that's one of the reasons that they have so, so many problems and why our board is working so hard. And when you push a board too hard, the board inevitably breaks. The Annex is falling apart. I think a room is starting to slide down the hill. Everything is breaking. Everything around me is breaking. It would be so easy, easy for me to look at the bank account, look at the number of people in the building, look at the, the building crumbling, listen to the crickets that have invaded this building. Oh my gosh, there's so many of them. I did a video this morning and I only one of them. I could only hear one of them. And seriously, there were three in this building. But I could look around here and I could go, here I am in this desolate place. Where am I to get enough to provide for my family, the needs of the people around me, or even keep the lights on? But followers of Jesus have to rely on divine resources. We don't rely on our own ingenuity. We rely on Jesus. When we do things for our glory, our resources diminish. But when we do them for God's glory, we notice that they strangely multiply. Number five, Jesus took all that the disciples had for food and he fed the crowds with it. It took their meal, <laughs> took their money to feed the crowds. It was their loaves and fishes. Unlike the Jews, he, they, they, the, the, a little boy brought him the food, was probably trying to feed the, 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 the rabbi and his, his followers. In this case, it doesn't even mention anyone bringing them the food. It seems like it's theirs. Maybe they fished for it. Maybe they baked it. Maybe whatever, whatever happened, this is their food. Jesus takes all that the disciples had, and he not only feeds the disciples, but he feeds the crowd. Christians need to be willing to give all that they have over to God. They must become living sacrifices, Romans 12, 1 to 3. They have to live their entire lives uh, uh, for holiness if they want to see God work in amazing ways. If you only give a portion of yourself to God, if you think, well, I've got these you know, five loaves and a few, or seven loaves and a few small fishes, uh, God, you can have three loaves and one small fish. In fact, I'm going to give you the smallest fish. I'm going to give you the sardine. Here you go, God. You will never see God work in amazing ways. Never, ever, ever. If we really want to see Toledo redeemed by the gospel, we have to be willing to sacrifice everything for God's mission. Finally, 
Going back to the first point I made, number six, Jesus has the same compassion on Gentiles as he does the Jews. Galatians 3, 27 to 29, For as many of you were baptized into Christ, have put on Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. Listen, Paul's point is that God looks on all these people, and even though they have different roles, a slave and a, and a slave master have different roles functionally. Male and female have different roles functionally. My wife is pregnant, I am not. So the point is that God gives salvation freely and adopts freely into these groups without partiality, saying the Jew has the advantage, the Gentile has to work harder. That is, that, that is not how God works. Instead, he gives it freely. We who are Gentiles are not secondary in God's plan. We're not second class. We're not shoved to the outside. We're brought to the banquet table to the glory of God. And that is what this is showing. It is a literal banquet that God miraculously provides among the Gentiles, not just the Jews, doing the same miracles that he did among the Jews, even if it's for a less time. Do not forget this. Remember how precious Christ is. He has the same compassion on Gentiles as he does the Jews. Yep, went long. Let's pray and sing our last song. Heavenly Father, I am grateful to not be secondary. I'm grateful that my people are not secondary. I'm grateful that other people are not secondary, but instead it's through the Israelites, through the Jews, that you have brought salvation. Lord, this excites me because it reminds me that there are people in our town hungry for the gospel and they don't know what they're hungry for. So God, take our loaves, take our fish, take all of us, take whatever you want to, to multiply, to multiply your gospel here in Toledo. Lord, put us on mission to redeem Toledo with your gospel. Take us, all of us, for that mission. Not our mission, but your mission. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, just as Jesus fed the crowds miraculously, today is potluck and we get to eat. So go in peace, saints. Get some burgers and hot dogs. And uh, we also have too many burgers, so you might get more than you want. Go in peace.